What's up, walkers? This is Brett, and I want to welcome you to a very special episode of The Skywalk, in which I will give Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, the send-off that it deserves before the impending release of Star Wars The Last Jedi. So I want to welcome you to this very special episode. It's special for a variety of reasons. It's just me today, but hopefully it'll be entertaining enough for you. And I'll try to keep it interesting. I'll try to keep it weird. But before we get into it, if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe to our podcast uh, on iTunes. Just search for The Skywalk. Sky as in sky. Walk as in the thing you cook in. W-O-K, not walk the motion where you put two feet together to move yourself in a forward direction. Uh, we now have a, a unique URL, facebook.com slash SWOverCoffee. If you remember back in the old days, we were called Star Wars Over Coffee. Twitter, at SWOverCoffee. You can follow us there or on Potomatic, starwarsovercoffee.potomatic.com. And please leave us a review if you like our podcast uh, or if you hate our podcast. Please tell us that too, especially this episode that I'm doing now where I'm doing it alone. Tell me if this is the worst idea ever, and I promise I will never do it again. So we're going to talk about The Force Awakens today. There's a reason uh, why I'm doing it alone. The main reason is because this is, in a strange way, a time-sensitive episode, (laughs) even though this is really an evergreen last review post-mortem of Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's time-sensitive because in two weeks from now, once The Last Jedi comes out, no one's going to want to talk about The Force Awakens anymore. I hate to say that, uh, but I feel like it's all going to be (laughs) about Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi from here on out. So I wanted to kind of uh, give The Force Awakens the proper send-off, the respectful send-off before we move on to two years of raging obsession over The Last Jedi. Another thing about this episode, this episode has a lot to do with football, strangely. Uh, But I just want to tell you, if you are not a fan of the New England Patriots, please do not be turned off by this. Uh, The reason that I am using football as an analogy is because, no joke, uh, the very first time that we saw The Force Awakens in the theater which, as you all know, was a monumental life event for all of us. It reminded me a lot of one of the worst sports experiences I've ever had as a fan, uh, as a sports fan in general, and in particular of the New England Patriots. So obviously I'm kind of spoiling things here for you because if I'm comparing it to such a tragic, uh, painful event in my life, that means I do have some negative feelings. But... In all honesty, my review for this movie is a 7 out of 10, which I will get to later. And I do love this movie, and I have watched it uh, dozens of times, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. So again, uh, if you don't like the New England Patriots, you will probably take joy in the pain of the experience that I'm going to talk about. If you do like the Patriots, this will be a little bit therapeutic for you, hopefully. But please do come back next time for our biggest show of the year, our Star Wars The Last Jedi pregame show. Just to get us caught up a little bit on where, we were, where we're at in the post-morteming of The Force Awakens, uh, going back five years or so in 2012, uh, Disney bought Lucasfilm for $4 billion, um, which gave Disney ownership of the entire Star Wars franchise. And that meant that uh, we could get Star Wars movies again, because for a while there, it looked like it wasn't going to happen. Um, at the time, George Lucas had some ideas 
uh, for how episode seven could be told, what it would be about, what, roughly what would happen, apparently. Uh, but it seems like once the papers were signed, uh, Disney was like, uh, yeah, just kidding. We don't want your ideas. Uh, we're going to do our own thing. And obviously, it's worked out pretty well for them. Uh, the good thing about that to me that comforts me is that the Star Wars fandom as a whole seems to have re-embraced George Lucas. Uh, a lot of people were very disappointed in the prequels, but it seems like we're all in a good place now. <laughs> so we knew that there would be an episode seven. We didn't know it would be J.J. Abrams directing it and writing it at the time. Um, everybody thought that would be too weird if you think back. J.J. Abrams was the Star Trek guy now. So I think uh, once it was announced that J.J. Abrams would be taking on Episode 7, I think we all talked ourselves into it, and uh, we were all on board. Now, by the time the movie came out, expectations were sky high. Obviously, we had seen the trailers, which to this day might be the best Star Wars movie we've ever seen. So expectations were sky high, and I think part of that that we can't leave out of this discussion is what happened with the prequels. I know there are a lot of people now who enjoy the prequels. I enjoy them to some extent. But at the time, they were an unmitigated disaster. The reviews were bad. The acting was bad. All, all this horrible stuff. So they were a huge disappointment for people expecting something like the original trilogy, uh, which was masterful, which changed movies forever, changed people's lives. It really did. Let's face it. Um, I mean, I, I do what I do today for a living because of Star Wars. So, so the prequels were a huge disappointment. So I think coming into The Force Awakens, it was like, all right, now they're going to get it right. They took it away from George Lucas. They're going to give it to these young, uh, really talented filmmakers who are getting really talented actors. They're going to bring back uh, the emotion and the great characters and a good script. And everything's going to be fine. It can't possibly fail the way the prequels did. And that's the way I went into it. Um, so first of all, I avoided reviews before The Force Awakens came out, uh, about a week before, which in retrospect doesn't seem like nearly enough time. About a week before the movie came out, I swore off all social media and internet because idiots were already posting spoilers in headlines and, and, and threatening to ruin my experience that I had been waiting for for how many years now? That would have been 83 to 2015, whatever the math is there. And I didn't want that ruined. I wanted to just go in as fresh as I could. So, the opening theme. This is, for me, where this analogy of The Force Awakens to Super Bowl forty-six really kicked off. No pun intended, seriously. Which, uh, Super Bowl forty-six was the second time the New England Patriots would play the New York Giants in the Super Bowl. The first time was a huge disappointment, a la the prequels. People were expecting the genius Bill Belichick and the great legendary quarterback Tom Brady to just do everything right. And, uh, and they failed miserably in Super Bowl 42, uh, which ruined a perfect season, uh, which had never been done in a 19-game schedule. Uh, so totally unprecedented. Don't come at me, Dolphins fans. And so that was a huge disappointment. So now, four years later, here are the Patriots with another shot at the New York Giants. And you're thinking, okay, they're never going to let that happen again. What happened in 2007, uh, technically February of 2008, they'll never suffer a letdown like that a second time. It's just not possible. And this is the way I went into The Force Awakens, thinking never again will this prequel experience happen. They would never let that happen. So things start off great. And by start off, I mean the opening crawl. 
the, the words come on screen, the music kicks in, and there's really nothing like that. Uh, the Star Wars music is just so, the, the actual theme, it just has everything. It makes you feel joy, sadness, power, excitement, action. Uh, it's so inspirational to me uh, that on this podcast, we've actually started listening to it before we record every episode, just so we can get in the right frame of mind. Uh, so it was fantastic. The crawl was great. It said Luke Skywalker has vanished. Like, what could be better than that to start this movie off? Because I wasn't expecting that. What an exciting way to kick things off. The opening crawl to Star Wars can never not be great. But then, almost immediately after the opening crawl, the wheels start to come off for me. And again, I want to be clear about this whole review, this whole post-mortem and send-off. Uh, this is my reaction. Uh, I mean, I genuinely wanted to love this movie. I still enjoy it. I still watch it all the time. I watch it more than anything else. I watch it more than Rogue One, which I really loved too. Uh, and I'm very happy for people who do love this movie with no qualms or reservations at all. Uh, I'm not one of them. There are things about it that bother me, and they bothered me the very first time that we saw it. Um, but I still do love the movie. And like I said, I give it a 7 out of 10. And I'll get more into detail on that later. But this is why I say the wheels come off. You get down to Jakku. And Poe literally cannot even get his ship off the ground. And I feel like this is the perfect <laughs> allegory uh, for my analogy for the Patriots in Super Bowl 46. On the very first offensive snap for the Patriots in Super Bowl 46, Tom Brady was called for intentional grounding from his own end zone, which is, of course, a safety. So for people who don't follow football, basically it means you had the ball and it's your turn to try to score points, but you did something so dumb that you just gave the other team two points for free from the get-go. That was literally the first snap of the game, offensive snap for the Patriots. So yeah, uh, The Force Awakens starts off two points behind from the get-go, and it just seemed like every time things started to get going, they would shoot themselves in the foot. Um, but in hindsight, it was jilted even a little before that. When I watch it now and Kylo Ren's Star Destroyer kind of comes up silhouetted uh, against the backdrop of a planet and the dropships come out, I was even disappointed in the design of those ships. They're just not Star Warsy. They look like something. I know that J.J. Abrams cites uh, Saving Private Ryan as his inspiration, and I get that. But again, it's just not Star Warsy. And then, frankly, the music started too soon. So they kind of have that um, kind of intense uh, music that kicks in, dun, 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 whatever it was. But it comes in too soon. Maybe they should have left some of that quiet, eerie. Empire Strikes Back-esque mystery for a little longer. But then, like, right after that, um, there's our intro to BB-8. And that shot of BB-8 is everything I ever wanted in a Star Wars movie. It's shot beautifully. The camera pans around BB-8. You can see this little village in the background. It's nighttime. BB-8 just looks amazing and is an amazing character. He's a fantastic addition. Um, so that shot was just everything that I ever wanted from a Star Wars movie. But then we're in the hut with Poe and Lor Santeca. Uh, good dialogue in that scene, but bad for pacing. You've really started off with this thing where you start to build momentum with these ships falling down to the planet, but then you immediately grind to a halt. Uh, and it actually felt a little, a little prequely. 
And it's kind of funny because the first line of the movie is Laura Santeca saying, this will begin to make things right. And, and people have read into that, and I happen to agree with them, that that was sort of the filmmakers, whether it was J.J. Abrams' idea or his co-writer Lawrence Kasdan, who also wrote The Empire Strikes Back um, and is writing the, has, uh, wrote the upcoming Han Solo anthology film, whose ever idea it was, it felt like they were saying this movie will begin to make things right for uh, what we did wrong in the prequels. Uh, But this brings me to another point that to be fair to this movie, everyone came in with insane expectations and not just in terms of how good they expected it to be. But for example, I suspected everyone in this movie of not being what they seemed. So, Uh, that's one example of what made it impossible for me to watch this movie with an open mind. And I happily admit that I'm actually sad to admit that, but I really couldn't watch it with an open mind. I was suspecting that everything was a twist. Uh, there was this thing that had come out earlier that, uh, is Kylo Ren actually Luke Skywalker in disguise that turned to the dark side? So you're looking for all this stuff. Uh, you're looking for all this stuff that's just not there. 95% of it was not there at all. And the 5% that was there were not the things that you expected. But let's go on. Uh, another component of the rough start, Captain Phasma. Uh, her very first line was perhaps the worst character introduction in any movie ever. So, the villagers. She basically sounds like, she sounds like Soundwave from Transformers, you know, Megatron's sidekick, except with even less dialogue and perhaps even less intelligent uh, the way this character written was written. Uh, was there a writer strike? It's, it's like, it, she kind of sounds like she was written as a droid. And I wonder if that might've been better. Just think about it. Speaking of uh, another character introduction, and and for starters, you can't introduce three main characters and two key supporting characters in a three-minute span. And I think that's another issue I have with the opening of this movie. They try to cram everything in very conveniently, very coincidentally, that all these characters cross paths, Finn, Poe, and Kylo. Uh, It was was probably just a little too much to pull off in the first place, and it just doesn't feel organic. Um, But Finn... I love Finn, uh, the character. I think he's one of the bright spots. Uh, he has some of the most potential going forward with this, uh, with this current trilogy. But, like, what did he think they were going there to do? Were they, did he think they were going to give the Jakuvians a stern talking to? Um, he gets down there, and uh, Kylo orders uh, the stormtroopers to just kill everyone, and Finn acts like, what? Then there's Poe. I love Poe Dameron. Uh, He's a little two-dimensional in this movie. It seems like they're going to expand on him a lot as well in The Last Jedi. To me, he feels like he was plucked straight out of West Side Story. Like, if you told me that Poe was a shark or a jet, either one of those would make a ton of sense to me. Uh, But his jokes kind of fell flat with me. They were a little dad-like, but with the passage of time, I've kind of become indifferent. So, again, things never really got off the ground there literally and figuratively. But, you know, then here we are with Ray inside the crashed old Star Destroyer. And that was awesome. And we're talking uh, even a Raiders of the Lost Ark reference here. Uh, If you look at the scene where she's sliding down the rope 
uh, into the Star Destroyer. It's very similar to when Indiana Jones climbs down a rope into the map room in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So now we're talking, all right? We've got this mysterious character. We don't really know anything about her. She's scavenging a crashed Star Destroyer on the surface of this planet. But again, the wheels come off almost immediately and we lose all momentum when we're introduced to Unkar Plutt. More like Flunkar Plutt. Uh, would have flunked out of Face Off. Have you ever seen the show Face Off about uh, people who make Hollywood prosthetics and costumes and everything? Um, he is one of the worst prosthetic characters I've ever seen in a movie. And I do want to give credit to The Force Awakens here because of bringing back the practical effects. And this is one of the things that this movie did so, so, so well, is they did learn from the prequels' mistakes with relying too heavily on CG and they brought in practical effects, and a lot of what you see in the movie is real. Uh, unfortunately, this is a character that is real but looks like garbage. He looks like a heap of trash, and I will never get over it. I will never like him. And it's Simon Pegg inside this costume who I also love. So everything about this says I should love it, but just didn't work. Again, I will chalk that up to them rushing the production of this movie. Going back to these characters, you know, you have the ones that are practical effects, that are prosthetics. But then we get introduced to one of the worst CG characters of all time, the alleged pirate Maz Kanata. If I could put the eye roll emoji in here in a podcast, I would. I mean, I don't mean that she looks super fake, although she does, but just the design of the character is really bad. If you watch the behind the scenes on the Blu-ray, they basically admit that they just ran out of time to design a character that could be done as a practical effect, and they just kind of went with this ugly orange tree frog that nobody really seems to be a huge fan of. And that's not even to speak of the fact that they cast Lupita Nyong'o in this role. Like, why would you get her, who's a great actor... Why would you get her to play basically Sophia from the Golden Girls? So yeah, basically when we're watching The Force Awakens, I felt like, oh gosh, like it's happening again. Everything is going wrong. How did they not learn from their mistakes? And it was the exact same dreaded feeling I had watching Super Bowl 46 when I thought, how on earth could the Patriots be letting this happen again to the same stupid team that it happened to four years ago, which was bar none the worst experience of my life uh, as a sports fan. Oh, and, and let me go back. This Guavian death gang that Han and Chewie encounter on the Aravana, which was a super dope ship, by the way. It's, uh, it's Han and Chewie's uh, cargo freighter or wherever it is. Uh, it's really cool. But this Guavian death gang, it's like a mashup of Devo and Oasis. And then Kanji Club... Like, those are the dudes from The Raid, which I haven't seen. I'm not into ultra-violent stuff. Uh, but by all accounts, they're pretty cool. But it just feels like they were cast as themselves. Maz Kanata's castle sequence, uh, I find to be one of the worst parts of the movie. But then you kind of have things get a little bit exciting again. Because you have this battle uh, on Takodana, the planet uh, that Maz Kanata lives on. And Poe flies in. Uh, at this point in the movie, you thought he was dead because you thought he sunk into quicksand in a crashed TIE fighter on Jakku. But here he is, and they never really explain this at all. Uh, he just shows up again to the point where you're like, wait, is that the same dude? Because they didn't say anything. They didn't make a big deal about the fact that he's back from the dead. Uh, but here he is flying over Takodana. It's pretty cool. It's a decent action scene. Uh, now, the fact that going back to my analogy to Super Bowl 46, Poe Dameron comes in in his baller prototype X-Wing called 
Black One, very original name, and he's just picking off TIE fighters left and right. He's amazing. Uh, and this reminds me of in Super Bowl 46, Tom Brady's second and third quarter was very Poe Dameron-like. Supporting stats here, uh, Tom Brady, just before the half, connected with Danny Woodhead for a four-yard touchdown pass to complete a 96-yard drive over 14 plays with eight seconds left in the first half. Uh, That drive is tied for the longest in Super Bowl history, at least to that point. Uh, He completed 11 passes on the drive, which passed Brett Favre for the most postseason completions in NFL history. Uh, That streak of passes, again, his his Poe Dameron-like streak of completing passes in that Super Bowl ended at 16, which tied his own postseason record and set a new Super Bowl record. And the Patriots at that point, they seemed like they were just untouchable. It just seemed like they were a hot knife cutting through warm butter. Uh, they scored 17 unanswered points to take a 17-9 lead in the third quarter. I remember saying out loud, I think it was to my dad, that they could just not stop Tom Brady at that point. Uh, And things seemed to be going really well for the Patriots, like they seemed to be going well in The Force Awakens. But sure enough, very quickly, things took a turn for the worse. Uh, In Super Bowl 46, Brady threw an awful interception. Very un-Brady-like, on a deep pass intended for Gronk, Rob Gronkowski. And this brings us to another uh, convergence if you will, between the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 46, uh, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Gronk came in to Super Bowl 46 with an ankle injury. Han Solo injured his leg very early in the filming of The Force Awakens. If you remember this, I had kind of forgotten myself, but one of the doors in the Millennium Falcon actually fell and broke, I believe, broke his leg. And so he was out for a while. They kind of had to halt production, at least of his scenes. Uh, And it makes me wonder, you know, Gronk was basically muscled out by a linebacker on this deep ball by Brady. So this linebacker for the Giants, I don't remember his name because he wasn't even good enough to remember. And somehow he muscles out Gronk for this interception. Is that maybe the death of Han Solo? I don't know. Or is Gronk Kylo Ren? who is outdueled due to his injury, like when Kylo gets shot in the gut by Chewie late in The Force Awakens. Uh, Sadly, I think Tom Brady might actually be Kylo Ren, who twice lost to Rey inexplicably, just like Tom Brady twice lost to goofball Eli Manning inexplicably. And uh, and I'd like to point out that Rey and Eli are both three-letter names, for what that's worth. And, as we all know at this point, Tom Brady went on to turn things around and redeem himself for his fans. Uh, I, for one, believe that Kylo Ren will redeem himself based on the pure fact that uh, Harrison Ford said many times that he wanted to be killed off in Star Wars. He wanted his character to be killed off, but he wanted it to be for a very meaningful reason. Uh, He wanted it to serve a very noble purpose. As things currently stand, he died for nothing. He died in cold blood. He got punked by his kid. So as of right now, it doesn't mean anything, and it's only going to mean something if Kylo Ren is redeemed. So uh, my takeaway in all of this is that whether it be football or making movies, you can't just will it to happen. Uh, Sometimes in sports they say, you know, one team just wanted it more. I don't believe that. Uh, The Patriots wanted this so bad. In fact, they dedicated the season 
to Myra Kraft, late wife of team owner Bob Kraft. If you go back and watch Super Bowl 46, you'll see the MHK patch on the Patriots jerseys. Uh, that was a dedication to her. Uh, so it's not enough to just want it more. Star Wars fans wanted this really badly. The people, I, I truly believe Sometimes we do criticize J.J. Abrams, Kathleen Kennedy, Lucasfilm, whoever. I truly believe they want to get things right at this point. I think they wanted so badly for The Force Awakens to be good, and they succeeded. But it's not a home run. Again, I wanted to love it, but I didn't. And I remember when Jeff and I got up at the end of the movie, we were three other friends of ours, and we all had the same exact reaction, which was kind of like, huh? We've talked about it before. But making a good movie is not the same as making a good Star Wars. Uh, You can direct it well. You can have good acting. You can have a great script. You can make casual fans happy. But you'll be hard-pressed to find a hardcore Star Wars fan, lifelong Star Wars fan, that puts The Force Awakens in their top three. The first night that we saw it, I went home and immediately started reading reviews to try to help me somehow gain more appreciation for the movie. You know, like, is there good in you? because I haven't felt it. And the reviews helped. For example, I knew that I loved Kylo, and the reviews helped me to understand why. And that's kind of how I feel about reviews in general, is I, I like to form my own opinion. If there are some lingering doubts in my mind, or I think that something maybe didn't have the impact that I shot, thought it should have, sometimes when you go back and you read the work of professionals, you know, who I think are completely valid, Uh, It can help you understand why you did or didn't feel certain things while watching the movie. What else went wrong, though, with uh, The Force Awakens? Again, on the Super Bowl analogy, after Super Bowl 46, when the Patriots lost crushingly again to the stinking New York Giants, uh, there was even talk of Bill Belichick being too old to coach anymore. He is one of the oldest coaches in the NFL. Strangely, Pete Carroll is actually older than him, even though if you ask anyone on the street, they'd probably guess he's 15 years younger. And I kind of view that like John Williams. I did not love his performance <laughs> in The Force Awakens. Uh, again, I listen to it all the time. I do a lot of walking in my commute to work, and I'm constantly listening to The Force Awakens, and I love it. But just compared to A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and even Return of the Jedi, I really didn't think it was his best, his best performance. But can he turn it around for Episode Eight, The Last Jedi? Bill Belichick did for Super Bowl Forty Nine against the Seahawks, and uh, that's my hope for The Last Jedi. And that kind of brings me to my hopes overall for The Last Jedi. The Patriots would redeem themselves in a big way after their second loss to the Giants in Super Bowl 46. They went on to Super Bowl 49. It was one of the best all-around Super Bowls I've ever seen. I don't think that's just me as a Patriots fan, but it really was two heavyweights slugging it out, playing good football throughout with a spectacular finish. And let's hope that pattern holds, because in my analogy, uh, The Last Jedi would equate to Super Bowl 49, which would mean it's a great all-around movie, perhaps one of the best Star Wars movies uh, that we've ever seen. What would this mean for Episode 9? Well, Episode 9, in theory, would correspond to Super Bowl 51 between the Patriots and Falcons. And let me just tell you why this is actually very likely. Uh, Super Bowl 51, as I said, was very uneven, uh, but had a very strong ending. <laughs> uh, and I think I can say that uh, whether you're a Patriots fan or not. Um, 
people talk about that. I disagree that it is the greatest Super Bowl of all time. I think it just had a really great ending and something that had never happened before. And nobody had ever come back from that big a deficit. A Super Bowl had never gone into overtime. So as any objective football fan, uh, in theory, you should have been thrilled uh, that you were getting an extra quarter in a Super Bowl because that had never happened before. And this would mean that Star Wars Episode Nine would also be very uneven, but hopefully have a very strong ending. And I feel like uh, past precedent bears that out. It kind of sounds a lot like Return of the Jedi, uh, the way a lot of people feel about that. Now, I love Return of the Jedi, but I know a lot of that is sentimentality. I love everything that happens in Jabba's Palace. They could have talked about trade routes and tariffs in Jabba's Palace, and I would probably still love it, uh, just to be fair to the millennials out there who love The Phantom Menace. Now that, now that we know that J.J. Abrams is coming back for Episode Nine, I could definitely see it being a little jilted in the earlier parts as well, but having a very strong finish. And that tends to happen uh, a lot with the third movie in a trilogy. Uh, Return of the Jedi, Return of the King, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, they're all movies that kind of struggled to maybe to figure out what their purpose is. Uh, people always seem to know what to do with the first and second movie in a trilogy, but they str seem to struggle in the third one, uh, but usually are able to recover for a strong ending. And so I wouldn't be surprised uh, if that's what happens with uh, Star Wars Episode Nine, yet to be named. Let's just call it uh, Return of the JJ for now. It really comes down to love. Loving a movie, to me, is being aware of the lows, but enjoying the highs so much. Just like love in real life, uh, you're aware of the other person's faults, but you love their good traits so much that the faults don't really matter. Which brings me to the last thing that I want to share with you, with you guys, which is my review. But I also want to tell you that Jeff and I have decided to try something new which we're calling Emoji Movie Reviews, where we give you guys our reviews of Star Wars movies in the form of emojis. Uh, so this is a 10-point scale. So something could be 5 out of 10, 7 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Uh, but for each number that we give it, uh, we're going to give a corresponding emoji that gives you a little description of why we felt that way about the movie. So let me just tell you real quick uh, what my, this is my tentative emoji review for Star Wars The Force Awakens. I give it a 7 out of 10, which means I super love it because a 7 out of 10 Star Wars is like a, a 9 out of 10 anything else uh, because I just love Star Wars so much, like a lot of you listeners do. So my 7 out of 10, these 7 emojis. I say tentative because I'm not sure if there's an emoji of a scroll, you know, like an old papyrus rolled up scroll with writing on it. If there is, I would use that to represent the opening crawl because uh, you can't understate like the Star Wars opening crawl can never not be great. Uh, then I give it a skull and crossbones to represent who I believe is still the best character in this movie, which is Han Solo, who's a smuggler, which is kind of like a pirate who used skull and crossbones. Uh, then I give it a dog emoji for Han Solo's best friend slash pet, Chewbacca. Um, I know that may sound disparaging, people, uh, but George Lucas said himself that Chewbacca was based on his dog, which I think was, uh, what, a golden retriever? If Allie was here, she would know. Uh, then I give it a robot emoji. A uh, robot emoji is for BB-8 because BB-8 might just be the best character, best new character that was introduced in The Force Awakens. He's amazing. Alan our millennial friend who has now caught himself up on all the Star Wars movies over only a few weeks uh, span, he asserts that BB-8 is better than R2-D2. Um, 
Yeah, I know. I'll, I'm going to talk to him about that. Uh, then I put in the family emoji because uh, that was really the only emoji way I could come up with displaying the ensemble cast because the ensemble cast in this is fantastic. They work so well together. They have such great chemistry, which is why my next emoji is the little scientist dude with the uh, microscope. And my last emoji, the seventh out of ten, is a little martini, I think. And that's because this movie, and in fairness, probably all Star Wars movies, you should go into uh, without letting your brain work too hard. Because if you start thinking about it too much, things start to fall apart a little. So I always recommend having a little drink before you watch any Star Wars movie, especially The Force Awakens. Because if you watch it without thinking too much about the mythology or things that don't necessarily make any logical sense, it's a super, super, super fun time. Uh, There's so much fun to be had in this movie. When Han and Chewie come home, they truly are home, and we feel like we're back at home in the Star Wars universe, too. Now it is time to respectfully send it off into the dark reaches of space. So stay tuned for our next episode. Uh, Our next episode is by far the biggest and best thing that we will do all year. It is our Star Wars The Last Jedi pregame show. And we have a lot of things to talk about regarding Star Wars The Last Jedi. So we hope you guys check it out. This is Brett, and I'm just talking about Star Wars in the Skywalk.